awesome. Good to see everyone today. Excited about this podcast. Mm. I get in here too. You, you and Eugene have the same headphones. Well, he suggested what we use. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm just a wonderful man. All right. Yeah, I was gonna say they they, they looked like the same ones. I was uh. Yeah. Just a cheap little twenty dollar oh, pair. Know, of we're like bro- we're like brothers, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh don's gonna be joining us in a minute uh he's doing some work and he will join us uh how's everybody feeling like what any any topics coming to mind tonight today for y'all around things you feel like talking about before don joins us i figured that the topic of today's because where we left where we left off, where we left off last week was Peter, you're going to talk about your experience of ableism, right? Yeah, at least for a little bit. Little folks bit. don't mind because, you know, Don and I were starting to, and I would die a little around that. So I but think I have, to, Oh, go ahead. I just want to make sure that other folks can talk about what they need to talk about, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the spirit of that, I was suggesting that we make the topic of this episode ableism. What it is like we there's mm-hmm. certainly more to talk about that than than more than one podcast. So mm-hmm. uh, you know we can kind of all all come together and talk about this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so Peter, did you want to wait till Don gets on so you can talk to him directly, or did you want to maybe start the conversation in general? Well, we can start it in general as you want to, you know, basically just get a bit of a last week. Um, you know, all, getting rid of all types of discrimination is important, and but also one that uh, people don't remember or think about is ableism. And ableism is basically, in a nutshell, um, thinking that people with disabilities are less than or or not making accommodations, like, for example, holding a meeting in, in, in a space that's inaccessible, hmm. or not creating space to make sure that folks with disabilities have what they need to equally participate. And this also happens a lot in employment. You know, oftentimes employers want to pay us less than um, people without disabilities. Mm. It started off kind of back in the 40s and 50s when the federal government um, established a sub-minimum wage law that allowed people with disabilities um, back in the 40s and 50s to make less than the minimum wage. And fortunately, most even the laws on the book, most uh, places aren't like that anymore, but particularly people who work in kind of segregated environments often are subject to the submit of wage loss and they're treated really badly. You know, mm-hmm. it happens a lot in every part of life when you sort of make an assumption about somebody because of their disability where they're not given a voice or treated equitably. Like, um, I always have to remind folks when I 
go places that you got to make sure you have an accessible restroom. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's important. And sometimes folks don't really take that seriously. Mm-hmm. And I get there and there's no restroom. So I have to like immediately leave. Mm-hmm. Um, or when employers don't design their businesses to be accessible, that's a form of discrimination too. In other words, not that we're asking folks to change the world, but at least try to take better steps to include us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Access. That's, that's yeah. really a huge pivotal point, right? Mm. Right. Um, yeah, I was. Uh, I, I heard you, um, Peter. I heard you say something about um, you. You said equitability or equitably in uh, your um, what you were saying, right? Talking right. about. So I, I, I just want you to, um, you know, for anyone listening that might not know what the difference between equality and equity is. Um, so if you want to um, explain that, I don't want to put you on the spot if not. I... Well, I'll try to explain it the best way I can. And other folks, I want you to feel good to win. Yeah, sure. I think when it, you know, um, equal isn't always equitable. In other words, if you provide, um, <clears throat> if you, um, if you, pr- if you want to, um, if you provide a voting space where people can go to vote and it's accessible, that might be equal. But if you don't provide accessible transportation to get there, that's not equitable. Because hmm. I have no way to get to where I need to go to go vote, okay? Hmm. So you can have... Um, you know, in your argument, well, you don't provide transportation, so the bus route shouldn't go there. But mm. people with disabilities um, often don't drive because of their disabilities. Many mm-hmm. people do. I don't. So if I don't have someone to drive me or I don't have a bus, if it's not on an accessible bus line, I can't go vote. Mm. So you have to have a way for folks to get there. That's mm-hmm. what I would consider equitable. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, um, uh, that, I think that was a good uh, succinct uh, explanation. Um, you, you, you take the buses. Do you find, um, do you need any um, mobility support? Like um, I, I sometimes see buses that have that kneel and also have a lift on it. But some buses I don't see that on. Um, like even school buses, for instance, uh, they don't seem accessible for individuals who might have mobility issues. Well, it depends. School buses are required to be accessible, but not every bus. Mm. But if a student needs a bus to be accessible, then district has to have one mm. that can transport them to school. And for the most part, they're supposed to be able to ride with students without disabilities. So they might only have a few buses that are accessible. I mean, it would be nice if they all were, but um, Mm. that doesn't happen. Now for the public bus, it has to be accessible. Mm -hmm. 
because of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm-hmm. So by now, uh, the majority of the message should be accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, as far as equitably, in order for us to get where we need to go, since it's specifically, you know, people who are older adults and people with disabilities are the most transit-dependent, not to mention folks hmm. that, you know, are low and moderate income and other, you know, socially marginalized communities who cannot afford vehicles or, you know. Hmm. Um. There was another um, topic that you kind of um, brushed on uh, um, that I think is an important one. Even if we do have an accessible um, neighborhood, there is also the inclusivity issue. Um, I, I work at an organization that serves people with developmental disabilities, most mostly like autism, um, cerebral palsy, uh, microcephaly, Down syndrome, et cetera, et cetera. And one thing is, is um, I think we do a pretty good job at bringing them into the community, but still the community doesn't always seem to um, incorporate us into like the main space. Um, you know, so uh, is that, do you have anything to say about that? from your experience? Yeah, I mean, that often happens. I mean, just thinking about um, city programs and recreation, we spend a lot of time really advocating for like, accessible playgrounds for kids with disabilities. Um, meaning the material to move around the playground not be sand uh, because it's, sand isn't accessible for it. So if you use uh, material that's not necessarily grass, Grass is really never accessible. So they look at different types of rubber mat surfaces and other materials that are more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and these, these days, there's a lot of technology that you can make a pathway blend into the original natural pathway. Uh, you'll see this in parks. They'll use different material to make trails accessible, but it still looks like the original uh, trail that kind of helps work with the folks and get irritated if you change anything and it doesn't look natural. But mm-hmm. it is still hard to, while cities and, you know, while there's more opportunities for folks in the community, sometimes it's really hard to uh, participate. Like, for example, you know, um, Eugene and I are good friends. So we work to make sure I had all the equipment I needed, so I sounded really good on the podcast. And one of the things I worked out with him, I have to drink um, liquid periodically when I talk all the time, so there's there's space to allow me to do that, you know, because that makes this more comfortable for me. Um, whereas, you know, sometimes when you're... Eh, in community, and sometimes they go to meetings where they only get like a five minute break to go to the bathroom. I have to say, you know, that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I need at least 10. And they go, why? You don't want to know, but trust me, I need 10 minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, how we approach, um, how we approach time and access is a whole other conversation within the conversation of ableism. When you just think about what, how time, the expectations around time, around what most people take for granted, and and the expectations that people can just project. I mean, look at how grumpy people are when they're not getting their coffee fast enough, right? Like mm. when they're all of a sudden faced with uh, just a completely different lived experience that, that they can't relate to and they're just trying to get their coffee or whatever, mm. that's going to cause, that can cause conflict in some ways. Right. Mm. And uh, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's another aspect of ableism that mm-hmm. is not, you know, I think this is kind of in line with what Don was talking about last mm. week, which is the self-work part. You know what mm. I mean? Like it's like how many people, Peter, can you just like roll into their house for lunch to just like hang out with them? Like how many and houses? Houses not that many unless I work out them getting a portable ramp now mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. do have a couple portable ramps and where I live and oftentimes if I have to go to someone's house I sort of talk to them about how many stairs they have and if it's not mm-hmm. too many I can use a portable ramp and I can bring that mm-hmm. apartments if they're you know relatively new um, I can get to fairly uh, well and certainly with new construction around apartments, they come under the Fair Housing Act federally, so they have to at least be accessible as far as their front entrances. And, well, I should explain that there's a difference between accessible and adaptable. All new construction relative to apartments has to be at least adaptable. So if I want to live there, they can put in things like grab bars and other things that I may need. To make it accessible in some some lower encounters. Accessible is when you put in all, all the features right out the gate. Um, but front entrances and all that are supposed to be accessible. Areas of, mm. of common use. Um, mm. So nowadays things are a little better than they were back in the day. But it really, ableism is sort of when you aren't given an opportunity that you've otherwise qualified for or can do um, because of a disability or a, a feeling that, you know, um, or like, for example, you sit on a board and you're the only voice of the person with a disability and you have people without disabilities trying to make decisions or discounting your experience. Mm-hmm. Or when they tell you, well, you can't make a decision on whether something should be accessible because you're personally affected, so you can't make that decision. What I can't look at the law and decide what the requirements are, have a voice in that. Yeah. The, the 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 boards they uh they exclude you because they think it's a conflict of interest, so that way you are getting it? Well, it doesn't happen so much now, but back in the day, a few years ago, I guess it wasn't that long ago, mm. I applied to be a, on a board on another city where I live, and they actually said, and it was an access board. It was 
evaluating um, accessibility, uh, what, so what would happen was somebody would, um, the building department would tell them that something needed to be accessible and they wanted to appeal it. And so they would come in front of this board and I applied to be on it. And they originally said, or one of the people said, well, because you're disabled, you know, you have a conflict because it affects you directly. I'm like, well, but remember, <laughs> you're supposed to have somebody on this board that can give you the disability perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a you have a con. Hold on, let me <laughs> <laughs> let me break this down. We can't. <laughs> We can't can't take you into consideration around how we're going to go about Mm. organizing space because you as a disabled person have your own interests in mind around how you should be able to navigate that. Mm. I mean, if that is enableism, I don't know what is. It's like... I mean, as if the people that are able, you know, Mm -hmm. that without the disabilities don't have their own interests in mind when they're making decisions, like... I mean, yeah, that's, that's just very, so weird. That's like, yeah, that's a it's pretty like absurd. Someone, <laughs> it's like inviting someone over to lunch, and then having stairs and being like, <laughs> as like, 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 well, you can't get up these stairs. Well, you're just biased, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's hear from Suzanne. She has a comment. Well, I just wanted to raise my hand before I just jump in and start talking over people. But I, um, I came across one of those barriers. And um, what I was trying to do with the project is making a particular gallery space more accessible to people. And I just hit this roadblock because... I felt that I, I just, I, I, I stopped it. Like I just completely stopped it because no one was listening, you know, to what people were saying, what they needed and, and stuff like that. And, and it's, so it's sitting there, it's just sitting there and it's not accessible and Mm. it's, it's frustrating. And, um, I'm glad that we're talking about this because this is really important, especially when we're doing anything that we're building or, or, you know, renovating or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, and along with the physical access uh, issues around disability or programmatic access, um, and there's the attitude aspects of ableism where someone says something or says something based on uh, how they feel when the person says, you know, and they sort of discount them because of their disability or automatically assuming someone's not capable of doing something that uh, they can do. Maybe they need an accommodation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, I'm a pretty brilliant writer, but oftentimes if it's, uh, I can do voice activated software on my computer, but if it's a long document, I usually hire someone who can actually type, so then I dictate what I want, because, frankly, um, while voice-activated software is is pretty good, it's really tiring, too, because of my own respiratory issues. Sometimes when I tell folks 
why do you need to have a typist? They go, oh, you just can't, you know. They make some assumption like, I'm not putting together the document myself. I actually am. I just need an accommodation to get there. Mm-hmm. And it happens a lot in one area, too. Where sometimes you're working on a project for work, and they hire a consultant for somebody without a disability, and they pay them more than they're paying you for something that you can do just as well as the person that they hired without the disability, but they don't give you the option to prove that. Or they say, well, you haven't done that before. Well, maybe it's because you didn't give me the opportunity. Not that I can't do it. There is a problem with disability agencies, and I work for disability agencies and non-disability agencies. I do find um, employers that, that don't employ or employers that don't have a disability focus are often better to um, people with disabilities and some of the disability service agencies. And I had a, well, I had an issue, or there was an issue where um, this company was hiring non-disabled, or people without severe, severe disabilities as consultants and paying them more, and that happens kind of a lot. I, I really don't like that at all. Hmm. <clears throat> and if I sound if I sound disgruntled, I'm really not. It just hits a nerve. No, it's okay. Um, it's good to show some, you know, emotion along with this because your feelings matter. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the frustrations that you have with the things that are happening happening around you. Those are important. And, um, you know, this, I know you said you, you don't expect everyone to change the world, but mm-hmm. I, I think, I think we need to for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, that, that's, um, yeah, I, yeah, you, you always get that reaction, you know, when you say, all right, we should make things accessible and they say, well, we sh- we as a society shouldn't have to accommodate for you. You should accommodate for us. And it's like, well, you know, when we created society, did we have a democratic say in who is the standard for um, accommodation? You know, no, we didn't. We had able-bodied people that, got to make all the decisions and well, no surprise. It's not accommodating for every person, not even remotely. Like even um, people that are left-handed have a lot of issues in, in our society because there's not many like right-handed right or not very many left-handed accommodations. Um, So I, that's something it's just, you know, when people say that we we are the best, you know, we design society for everyone, 
No, they designed it for a very small subset of people who did not have one. the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they kind of assumed that they were everyone, that they were the average. Right. Go ahead, Eugene. I mean, I don't know if it's so much of an assumption. I think it's a lack of, I think it's a, a lack of like desire to care. It's a, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's part of like disposable society, right? Anything Mm -hmm. that doesn't appeal to the ideal to which Mm -hmm. all is designed around Mm -hmm. is disposable. And then the justification that for that emerges in whoever's, mind is making the decision to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's people that m- maybe assume that everybody can just, I don't know, work like they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure I, I would wager that's real, but uh, you know, it, <laughs> this is where I get a lot of flack. Uh, when I try to point out like ableist language and like the, <laughs> the hinge of ableist language inherently being to like, demean and push down mm-hmm. and it uh it, and every time i talk about it i seem to get approached like i'm talking about it from some like moral standpoint like oh good people should act this way and i'm just like i don't think it's about good or bad if you if you're if, <laughs> you know that's the one ableist language is where i see the energy of demeaning the other like all across the political spectrum all across it like it doesn't matter who's arguing with who they're all using ableist language to do it, mm. right? And then ableist language is used to demean and empower the one who's doing the demeaning, like so quick and easy. It's like a, it's like a you know, it's like a hit in the head. You get that dopamine hit of like, oh, I'm the superior one because that person's a this or a that. You know what I mean? Mm. And like, you know, and I'm not trying to put too much on that because one of the things I get pushed back on this is like, Oh, it's just words. It's just language. And, and, and I'm talking about this from a diversity of tactics Mm -hmm. perspective where like, if we're trying to change the world and we have to have diversity of tactics, then we should be hitting it on every front that we can and Mm -hmm. removing language. That's like, you know, inherently designed to demean each other is doesn't seem like a terrible idea. And if that also affects our, approach on how we see each other how we organize that doesn't seem like a terrible idea either so i don't know i just want to put that out there mm-hmm. well, um yeah i i don't okay um yeah it's just gonna um let me just uh get this large um yeah i wanted to um Show show an image of um, since we are talking about inclusivity and accessibility. Um, um, I, I just wanted to show this chart. I, I know that people who are just listening on audio, they're uh, not going to be able to see this. But um, can I share the screen? Yeah, let me give you. Go for it. You should should be okay. able to right now. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, yeah. Let's get out of that. Yeah, so here's a good a good um, diagram I've yeah. I've um, seen going around. Like you know how um, you know sometimes there's integration, but really what it is is 
they're building a community within the larger community, but they're still not included in the whole thing. You know, I mean, it's a step better than segregation, as you can see, but like inclusion requires that accessibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so this is just uh, I I really like this chart. It's a good, really you know. Do you want to? Can we can we give a um, can we give a verbal description of all of it so that um, people yeah experiencing this podcast and can't see can yeah so can really break it down. It, yeah, so in the diagram you have four bubbles to demonstrate different. Um, uh, types of accessibility. You have exclusion, which is the predominant group is within the circle where, and all the marginalized people are not, they're not, they're not within their own community, but they're just kind of on the sideline of everything. Segregation is where you have two groups, but they're not mixed in there's no overlap between their two uh, societies. Integration is when there's um, uh, like the majority in-group is built around the, the minority, the marginalized group. However, there is a boundary between the two, so they are not mixed in with each other. Now, inclusion is where... Uh, the minority is completely accessible or it's completely accessible for minorities and marginalized people to become integrated in the society. Um, I, I guess I should say included, not integrated. Like um, from a network standpoint, all the people who are part of the majority are communicating with each other and not with the people in the um, integrated community that's within. So, yeah, so just another visual cue. Uh, the, the majority is represented as little green circles, right? Mm -hmm. Green circles peppered inside of a sphere or a circle. Uh, the circle being the boundaries of, I guess, society, right? Mm hmm um, so all the green circles inside the big circle that is the boundaries are, uh, are the majority. Um, the quote-unquote outgroup is all the different colored circles who are about, I don't know, like a quarter. Uh, there's like, there's, there's like a blue, some blue circles, some yellow circles, mm -hmm. some red ones. Um, and there's, there's, you know, in total, those different colored circles make up another little circle and the integration per integration model has a small circle inside a larger circle. The smaller circle contains all the multicolored circles with a boundary around them surrounded by the green dots, the green circles inside the larger circle. Segregation is the small circle with the multicolored circles outside of the main circle. Mm -hmm. Exclusion is all the different colored um, circles in a circle outside around the circle of the boundary of the circle with the green circles inside. And then there's at the top inclusion, which is one big circle and all the multicolored circles are interdispersed equally throughout the green circles. Mm -hmm. Did I do that right? 
Yeah, yeah. That, I think that was a, you know, a, some of the audience might hear it and just keep hearing circle, 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 circle. So they might be a little confused, but uh, they they um, they're free to check out the video in case they do get confused. Um, but I, I think you did a good job explaining that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing. Yep. Let me uh, stop sharing. Okay. Cool. So um, one of the things I appreciate about what conversations are happening or happening around this is the conversation of universal design. And I know, Peter, that's something you've talked about and heard about. Have either of you heard about that before? Say that again. Universal design. I see you shaking your head, Suzanne. Universal design. Yes, I've heard heard a lot about it, and uh, I began looking into it. And um, so that's that's where that's where I'm at now. Is just getting better understanding of it, so that we can figure out ways to implement it better. Because um, right now, it seems like uh, there's. It's 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 happening. It's just it's just not happening fast enough. If that makes sense, like, how would you define it? Well, it's like where the environment is completely accessible by everyone. It, mm-hmm. Is that a good definition? Yeah, I, I do have a description I could read if you're interested. Um, Go for it. Know, uh, Okay, it says universal design is the design and composition of an environment so that it can be accessed or accessed, understood, and used to the greatest extent possible by all people, regardless of their age, size, ability, or disability. This is by the, um, this is on the National Disability Authority website, mm-hmm. universaldesign.ie. Mm-hmm. it's a pretty damn high bar <laughs> i love well, it it's, it's like the highest bar <laughs> yeah. it, it is but it's 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 something to to dream and and to always be incorporating when you're designing like 100 percent equitable use it needs to be flexible so it can adapt um simple because you know you need it to be well, just like Tyler said, universal. So um, the information needs to be easily acceptable or perceptible. So it, it's just uh, tolerance. I think there's a tolerance for error was one of the principles. Um, not as much like, you know, too, too much physical effort. Um, and then you want to you want to think about size and space. So, yeah. So I was just um, thinking, you know, um, I, I don't have um, epilepsy. My, my older sister did, um, but for her, it wasn't as much about the um, bright flashing lights, but I did want to kind of get into that. And like, for instance, high tech cities, uh, especially New York city, uh, um, Tokyo, London, um, you know, all the big cities, you know, like um, for a lot of people going to see the ball drop in person, uh, 
is a very important thing for them. I personally heard it wasn't, uh, um, you know, there's no public restrooms and you're in a big crowd of people in the middle of the cold and it doesn't sound like the most fun to me, but for people who, who value that, there's a lot of flashing lights in, say, Times Square where they have the, the major ball drop. I, I mean, I know they do it in other cities too, but um, yeah, so I, I was just thinking of people who may have sensitivity to light brightness. Um, I, I know that for me, um, part of um, being on the autistic spectrum is um, I get information overload, you know, so if I have a lot of lights flashing or a lot of sounds going on all at once, it's, um, it gets to be very overwhelming to the point where I can't hear my own thoughts and, you know, and then uh, it just becomes a lot of noise and it gets to be pretty overwhelming. And this is another thing that I think some cities don't really take into account is, um, you know, how their lights and crowding affects their accessibility to people with um, certain disabilities. Um, personally, I don't have as much of an issue. Like for me, it's a very mild one, but I know, um, for instance, uh, the person I work with who has autism, he won't even... He doesn't like to go to the fair because there's too much noise and lights and smells and he says it's very overwhelming to him. But not, you know, not because he doesn't want to go, but because he just is overwhelmed and feels like he can't go. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, and you're right. That could be a significant barrier. I have friends that have epilepsy and seizure-related disorders and, um, they, I really, we have to talk about where we go. Um, this, of course, is pre-COVID, but we have to, like, I have to be a little bit of an advanced team person. And if we're going somewhere that might have lights, I have to actually go uh, there beforehand just to make sure that it's still, okay, it's still accessible for them, or whether it will or will not be. Same thing for folks that have I don't know if you heard about environmental chemicals and sensitivities or MCF. People that may be allergic to certain types of chemicals. There's a segment of the disability community in this conditions been um, um, adopted as one of the conditions where they're covered by social security. So I have friends that have a hard time with uh, different types of chemicals that are used in buildings. So when I was around this person a lot, if we were to go to a meeting, I would have to do a little advance work to make sure that the area that she and I were going to be in weren't, didn't have any major chemical issues that would make her uncomfortable. And it wasn't just uncomfortable. Um... First time I met her, we were actually at a demonstration, and somebody uh, we were at a, a um, anti-apartheid demonstration, and somebody came up to her and us, and they were smoking. 
Well, she immediately had a respiratory emergency. The smoke really affects her. Mm-hmm. So um, I asked the person not to smoke right there, and and they wouldn't stop. And this was like 30 years ago. And I, I sort of reached up and took the cigarette right out of the person's mouth and got rid of it because... It was causing a respiratory emergency, <laughs> and he was. And, Good for you. You know, I can be a little well. What's the term? Um, yeah, I can be rather direct acting when I need, need to be. So we became the best friends after that, and um, we used to. She lives in another state now, but she. And I used to go to a lot of demonstrations together. And that was my job to make sure that she and other folks, you know, would be okay if we were in some sort of an environment. One time, um, we got arrested, well, we got arrested in D.C. They were were, um, cutting federal funds for home care, which is something I use a lot. Mm. And... Originally, I wasn't planning on getting arrested. I was going to support uh, because I was going to need to go back home. Um, and um, well, she decided she wanted to at the last minute. So we both, I couldn't really leave her. So we both got uh, arrested. I used to do that from time to time years ago back in the day. Um, you do that you do that for you know your friends when there's an injustice you get arrested for them that's <laughs> that, that that to me is just that's great i've been there yeah. <laughs> you know it's like i couldn't really the cause of just and i couldn't really leave her alone somebody had to be with her at least from the beginning of the process yeah. to help explain things because sometimes when if um if the uh, if whatever she was breathing or chemical was really affected uh, her disability, um, they they're not able to talk or communicate. So that was mm. important. So yeah. Did did you find the police um, or find the jails to be accessible? Well, I've actually been arrested a few times in my life. Uh, Hmm. Truth, uh, truth be told, or truth to power, used to get arrested a lot. A lot of demonstrations for anti-war demonstrations and also anti-apartheid. And then there were a lot of demonstrations regarding uh, disability services and transportation, making buses accessible. And no, the jails aren't really accessible. <laughs> um they are more so now, um, mm-hmm. which I have good and bad feelings about. Yeah. Um, in a way, you know, people who are in custody have rights to their access rights. But on mm-hmm. the flip side, it just means that they're more apt to um, arrest us sometimes uh, mm-hmm. nowadays. Um, and um, what the... I think all my experiences in custody were relatively 
good. I mean, as good as you can be sometimes since I was recognized as one of the, the leaders back in the day. Sometimes they would make me wait to be the very last person to like use the bathroom or have any sort of assistance because they identified me as a leader. Although one time back in the uh, late 80s, um, I was in a demonstration a bunch of us were, and they cut the state of California if they didn't if they don't sign the budget back in the days, stops all payments mm -hmm. other than emergency payments too uh, for funding for programs. And one of the programs that would stop was in-home supported services, which is the program that pays for a lot of home care people with disabilities. Well, they also paid for my attendance. So a bunch of us went to the governor's office to protest to bring this to their attention. Well, unfortunately, the governor at the time really didn't listen, so we did a sit-in at the governor's office. <laughs> and um, so we, we would do a sit-in. They would take us to, to um, the holding area. And the first um, couple of days, they tried to take us to the hospital, but the hospital didn't want us. So we wound up in a lockup at the San Francisco Hall of Justice on Bryant Street. And so what they did was um, they had separated all of us out and they um, put me in a gymnasium and they had a couple of the, the uh, people in custody who were trustees take care of me. And actually... That was kind of a neat experience um, because we we all bonded and I stayed friends with them. Um, I lost contact with one I'm still in contact with. The other one, I'm not sure what happened. Uh, they might have moved. I don't have them. I'm not in contact with them, but we stayed in contact pretty regularly for uh, years. Um, and so that was a good experience. And it was funny. They had me segregated off in the gymnasium so that no harm would come to me. They were afraid about what the other prisoners may or may not do. But I had to go through the main uh, jail to uh, leave when I was being released. And so when I was rolling, hang on. Mm -hmm. When I was rolling out there through the main section of the jail, all the prisoners clapped because they'd all see me on the news. I guess there was a lot of coverage, and so it was on all their TV, and they mentioned that I and probably 15 other folks were in that custody. So that was, that was empowering. Mm-hmm. These days, because of my employment and other things that I do, I can't really get arrested, arrested. Um, mm -hmm. And the other issue that's also concerning is that um, things have changed. Um, that process 
might be a little more rougher now than it was back then. Mm-hmm. Back then, you know, the back then we were dealt with pretty nicely by the state police, for example. Uh, they knew why we were there. They did what they had to do, and we did what we had to do, but it, it wasn't really a rough um, interaction. They were actually, in a lot of cases, quietly supportive. But things have sort of changed now in the whole um, homeland security. And it makes me a little bit cautious now. Um, I know it probably shouldn't be that way, but it does because mm-hmm. I'm also, when I did that, I was in my 20s and 30s, and now I'm in my 50s. So, and now if I get hurt, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a problem. And I have family and people and, mm-hmm. so, you know. So, so that, that, that's interesting. So you're even saying your right to protest, your, uh, your constitutional right is not even accessible anymore. Uh, that's well, uh, <laughs> I mean, I still protest. I mean, I haven't really done it since COVID came yeah. in, but I was in a protest with somebody I care about uh, right before COVID really hit. And mm-hmm. We went to a protest and Black Lives Matter around uh, George Floyd and other issues that were occurring. So mm-hmm. I don't mind going in the streets and still will. The yeah. part that I'm hesitant about is actually getting taken. The yeah. experience of the getting arrested piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and it, well, it's a it's a common occurrence for uh, um, for police to come in and uh, instigate violence. Um, I mean, at least uh, we we saw a lot of that last summer and the during the George Floyd protests. Um, not in you know in Syracuse, I didn't experience any of that, but um, I, I noticed that it was a common occurrence in a lot of cities. So I mean, I can see why that would make it less accessible for, um, you know, for people who already might have been, you know, some troubles with um, respiratory issues or um, mobility issues or whatever. Like especially with all the um, you know, the um, tear gas that was going off. Uh, how how would, uh, you know, would that really um, hurt you, especially getting tear gas? Like, do you think that would be more than um, anyone else without? Well, I think tear gas is, isn't fun no matter what. I well, yeah. Um, years ago, I wasn't directly... Um, there were tear gas being used around me, and having it even then nearby was pretty bad for me. I have a restrictive lung disease and some other health issues where I have to be really careful with my lungs because um, I don't, my lungs don't, uh, ex- I'm, don't function right. I have uh, major uh, breathing issues that most of the time. I keep under control, but um, I went through a time a few months ago where um, 
I was really having a lot of respiratory distress, and turns out I had uh, no, a little bit of pneumonia, and I didn't. They didn't know because I was doing a video appointments, and so they thought it was related more to my chronic condition. It turned out to be pneumonia, but it had to get pretty bad before I was able to actually get in. But so I do have to be careful. So. I mean, it doesn't mean that I won't in the future. It just means that I have to really think about it and make sure that there's a support system around that. <laughs> you know, if I was probably to get arrested, I'd probably choose a group of people who were willing to get arrested too. And <clears throat> I would have them take the role that I did for my friend. Uh, okay, if I get arrested... I need this, 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 and this. Um, here's a letter from my doctor. Which, because before I would get arrested, I would get a letter from my doctor that says what I need as far as around the breathing and all that support from like having access to an inhaler and a nebulizer and the whole bit. Um, and I would say, here, hand this to the Police and then I, I mean, I'd have to really, it wouldn't be an instantaneous decision. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's something I haven't really thought about too much. Uh, um, you know, the, you know, they never really, you know, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's, um, they never really portray people with disabilities and how they interact with the police. Um, you know, so that's something I actually have never really thought about. Well, if you want to learn more, there's a group called ADAPT. They're now American Disabled for Attended Programs today. They used to be back when I was more involved. American Disabled for Accessible Public Transit, but uh, in brief, they're sort of the direct action wing of the disability rights movement, and they got arrested up at the U.S. Capitol for mm. a lot of issues around health care and mm. the ACA, and uh, their primary focus is helping people with disabilities get out of institutions. And so they do a lot of direct action work around that. Back when I was really involved, and, and they were, we were working on getting a national policy for accessible transportation, which all the transit companies, for the most part, including the national uh, national uh, trade organization, were against. So we were following them from. Uh, meeting to meeting and blocking inaccessible buses and, uh, you know, raising awareness sometimes at the front door of their hotel. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a whole bunch of people. If you Google Adapt, yeah, you, can I, see a, you can see a whole bunch of great videos. Yeah, I, 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 I like their... Um uh, I like their logo a lot. It's um, you know, the standard 
wheelchair with a stick figure man, but in it he's breaking his chains, and the motto says "Free our people, adapt." And that's yeah. a that's a really good logo. That's um, uh, I, I I've never heard of this before. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And I think I still have um, probably somewhere. Um, I have a couple of adapt T-shirts. I think mm. they're either here or I hope I didn't lose them. But I remember there's one that's the American flag and the wheelchair is kind of stick figure. And then there's chains and then it goes, it says on it, the wheels of justice. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and, uh, um, that's a good one. Yeah. You know, and um, they do a lot of great direct action work. Um, and um, like I said, they're sort of the, well, we, we used to say in the military, this is more right from it because it was sort of really paramilitary. I mean, because you really had to fall, you know, their actions were done uh, very, uh, they were planned out and um, they were, they were like, it's like an artwork. This is what you do. This is how you do it and go. Um, but now it's more, you say direct action. And now they kind of broke down the leadership structure a little bit so that more people could have a voice. And, um, because even in disability groups, sometimes we have to remind ourselves that we have to be more equitable and more inclusive. I mean, um, a couple of years ago, there was a, a controversy because one of the members made a comment that was really inappropriate mm-hmm. during, while, while he was doing a sit-in. Um, and that really put them under the microscope for really not being as inclusive and as aware mm-hmm. as they should have been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Word. Well, um, I think we covered a lot of good ground. Um, does anybody have any inspirations or intuitions on the direction they feel like taking things? I think I, I think I just need this to sink in a little um, mm. to like fully grasp. Word. Well, I think. Uh, I think I think we could call it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that that was a really good discussion. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think we. I think there's a lot more to talk about in future, but you know, sure. I think that's way way too much to go on. Mm-hmm. Uh, go on today. Yeah. Um, they were super talking about the way we should be designing things. I know that's a little bit selfish of me to go there, but um, I think it's really important really, really important um, because I want to incorporate that in everything that I do in the future, so. Well, you're at school, you were part of um, the design and architecture school, right, at your college or university? Well, it's it's just art and design, but we did have some architecture incorporated in it, 
Um, so like maybe, maybe at one point, maybe we should bring someone in from there and you know get their perspective from the design, uh, you know, so we can have a um, you know person, you know, so we can have a dialogue between people saying, "Look, maybe we need more people with disabilities to be the architects, mm-hmm. you know, to design these spaces." So it's not just a homogenous um, architecture. Right. I, I think that's wonderful. And I think that they're to an extent they need to, to hear this mm-hmm. um, because I don't, I mean, they want, they want us to learn to do it. They want us to be able to be empathetic and put ourselves in, in people's <laughs> shoes. But I think it, like I've, like I've told them before, you need to make space and listen to the actual people and not put people like, I mean, I, I have disabilities too, but not, I mean, dis, disabilities are diverse. Mm-hmm. So um, to have people who require more access than I do would be, mm-hmm. is just better. It's just better. Yeah. All right. Well, I, 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 I think, uh, I think we have, um, um, some material for next time or maybe uh, later on, depending on who we can bring on those. Uh, I, I think it would be great to have some architecture, architecture professors or, or even architects themselves that mm. are doing the designing and bring them in on this discussion. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Word. Thank you all very much. Um, that was, uh, once again, this was great. Talking. Appreciate yeah. all of you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Y'all be well. You too. Have a nice day.